Ready. Hey. Just in the middle of the field, 45, 50. Green grass in front of him, leaving Lions in his way. I am Jeff Joniak. Blitz is on. Down he goes. Brisker. What was it like playing for Coach Dicka? Uh, I don't want to answer any questions like that. 61 yards. Ooh. A Sunday stroll for Justin Fields. No way. Three, four, three. And ta-da, and ta-da, and ta-da. Now, Bears Etc. with the voices of the Chicago Bears, Jeff Joniak, and Tom Sandek. We're up to episode number 34. What a great number in Bears history. Walter Payton and the Payton Center. All in his honor as we get you set for Bears-Lions. With Tom Thayer, I'm Jeff Joniak. We come to you each Tuesday and Thursday. We got the Lions on the schedule this week up at Ford Field. Can't wait to bring that game to you. And Tom, this would be the exact perfect game that Walter would have loved to play. In the division, raucous environment on the road against a really uh, good Detroit team right now. Uh, and in a game that could be very well won on the ground, both teams are very good running the football. I mean, it's going to be a physical, nasty game. He'd be delivering shots. He wouldn't be running out of bounds untouched. Uh-uh. It would be that kind of game. Are you feeling me? Well, that's why you would need Walter Payton, because if there's not a guy that leads by example of physical style of play, you're going to have a really difficult time competing in this game. And Walter Payton is the guy, no no one's too big, no one's too fast, no one's too tough. Walter Payton can show you examples of every single one of those things I just said, and he can be the leader in the clubhouse from beginning to end. And Barry Sanders was that kind of cat too, man. That guy, steel-belted, tired legs. I mean, unbelievable, darting, quick, suddenness that you you think you had him, but you didn't. Both in the Hall of Fame, both highly regarded. And it's, uh, uh, and we're going to touch on his uh, late part of his career anyway. Documentary dropping soon on his uh, decision why he left the game early. Lomas Brown, the former outstanding left tackle for the Detroit Lions and now on the radio crew, our good friend will join us as well. He's a great storyteller too, Tommy. Love Lomas Brown. I loved him as a player. I love him as a guy within the division I had tons of respect for. He's a guy that was respected by the Chicago Bears when he played against them played underneath some difficult circumstances for the Detroit Lions when they didn't have great crowd support and weren't a great team, but he was still a Pro Bowl caliber player. So I think that's why Lomas Brown is still an endeared part of that organization. For all your journeys ahead, go with a partner who's been on your team from the beginning, the one members and communities have trusted for over 85 years, the Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Illinois, always standing by you, with you, for you, through it all. Let's get the status from Hallis. And the status is, as we anticipated and probably expected, Justin Fields trending towards getting the start against the Lions in Week 11 after a four-and-a-half game absence. Uh, he was at the podium today. We'll hear from some of that in a moment. But overall, Tom, uh, the thumb is ready to go. Uh, what are the challenges he faces with that recovery? He can grip the football and throw it. And what did you take away from his conference with the media today? He doesn't have any challenges. He's not going to think about the thumb. It's not going to play in role of anything that Luke Getzey wants him to do. He's going to go out there and he's going to play a Justin Fields brand of football. And um, I think that the experience that he went through on the sidelines of watching Tyson Bajan use the offense, the way Luke Getzey got the team ready, listening to Luke Getzey coach on the sideline, and he says that he didn't interfere with Luke Getzey at all during the course of the game, that he just sat back, 
paid attention to the game plan and looked at as a student of the game. And I think that's probably some of the most beneficial uh, parts of rehabilitation that you can go through. And almost as a cliche with uh, young quarterbacks or young players that may have had an injury and they, they get to watch. And I always hear these questions. Oh, do you think you learned anything? Uh, was it good for that player? It's, it's only good if they take what they saw and apply it though. And, and you know, and, and every quarterback and every player, regardless of position does things a different way. They handle things a different way. Do, do you, do you think, though, in this particular instance, uh, especially with timing of plays, release of the football, what you see uh, sometimes is not what you get from a defense, do you think those things, uh, could that gap be closed a little bit given how Bajan played the game? Yeah, well, I, I think Justin made reference to the point saying, yeah, I watched the way Bajit used the information that he was fed and how he looked at plays and maybe some of the results of his reads and w- w- the way he looked at the football out of his hands. All those things can help you. It's the same thing, Jeff. If we are watching a team in preparation and we are playing against the defense and maybe they had a Pro Bowl lineman on their football team and you kind of watch some of their techniques and some of their fundamentals and the way uh, they would go out and block whomever we are getting ready to play against. And you didn't necessarily try to emulate them. You tried to learn from what you are seeing from them. And so I, I don't think there's a much difference in it, whether you're a quarterback or an offensive lineman or whatever position you play. And then they asked Justin about, did you go back and study the games that you've already played? And he said, no, I didn't. I had, I was looking forward and I was studying the next opponent. I was taking notes. I was giving uh, Tyson any information that I thought that was beneficial to me that he could use. So I liked Justin's approach moving forward through the injury because there's nothing he can do about the past opponents you're not going to see again. It's about going forward and watching the tape of the guys they're getting ready to play as if you were preparing to be the starting quarterback. And I think that's the role that Justin needed to be in the most. Here's a chunk of the press conference with Fields back at the podium with the media. Justin, how's your, how's your grip strength uh, doing right now and how have you tinkered with glove, tape, wrap, all that? Yeah, it uh, feels pretty good. Um you know, so I'm um, just getting back into things. Feels good. Feels good to throw. Um, arm feels fresh, but um, yeah, I feel good. And you know, I'm taped it up today at practice, so we'll see how it's feeling on Sunday to whether I need tape or not. But um, I try to glove at first, just because you don't have to grip the ball as much, you know, without a glove or with a glove. So, um, but I didn't really feel too comfortable with the glove on. So yeah. So you want to play every game, obviously, but now you're actually getting the opportunity to do so. Just how excited are you about getting it back out there again? Yeah, I mean, of course, I'm really excited. Um, you know, I feel like the longer uh, I was out, the more you know I was I wanted to play. You know, uh, but um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to get back. You know, this week and uh, get back on the field with the guys for sure. How, how close were you to playing against Carolina? Was there real consideration? Um, yeah, it was real consideration. But um, I wanted to play, but uh, you know, the head trainer said it was my best you know probably for the best for the future long term um just to just wait it out one more week especially you know coming off a short week and stuff like that and you know if it would have got hit or something like that it probably would have postponed it another two or three weeks so um yeah are you looking at these next seven games any differently for you even if thinking big picture of the evaluation of what the bears are doing for you as a quarterback or are you just kind of approaching them okay let's just try to win out these last 
No, nah, I mean, it just starts with Sunday um, and just taking it day by day. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's my focus right now is just, you know, focusing on Sunday, getting prepared for that, you know, you know going out there, playing hard, playing to the uh, best of my ability. Justin, in, in what ways are you going to have to make sure that whether you're in the pocket or running with the football that it doesn't affect ball security? I mean, I wouldn't be playing if it was going to affect that, so I don't see that at Going, like, see that as a problem, you know, come Sunday. So. Justin, it's fair to say that this is the longest stretch within a season ever in your football life that you haven't been able to play? It might be uh, close. I'd say I missed about the same amount of time my senior year of high school. So, uh, yeah, pretty similar. That was with those, with the fingers? Yeah, with my index finger, yeah. What's it just been like kind of sitting impatiently, patiently, whatever you want to call it for the last five weeks, trying to, trying to figure out when the opening was going to come again? Yeah, I mean, of course, you know, when I was out, I was trying to, you know, just, you know, be the same leader I was when I was playing, um, you know, helping, of course, helping Tyson out with, you know, anything he asked for, I would, you know, write extra notes about, you know, scouting reports on DBs and safeties and linebackers and stuff and just send it to him. But, um, yeah, and, you know, just being on the sidelines, I feel like you look at the game from a different perspective um, and, you know, just kind of just seeing the game from a different view. So, um, you know, definitely learned a lot. Um, from, you know, just being on the sideline and um, just, just really just looking at the game from the sideline, just body language, you know, um, just, you know, different alignment cells and stuff like that. So, yeah. Is there anything you need to be cognizant of if you get hit or sacked about protecting your hand? Just protect the ball. That's number one. So if my hand gets hurt in the process, it's, as long as the, the ball protected, you know, that's all that matters. But I'm not really out there thinking about my hand, you know, um, if I was out there, like, it's like a mental block. There's no mental block with my thumb and, you know, playing playing normal football. So, yeah. The last time we talked to you, you said you, there was still a little bit of pain in your hand. Is that all the way gone, or is that something you have to play through? Are you talking about last week? Uh, November 3rd. Yeah. It was a Friday when you went when back you first to first practice. Yeah. When, you came back to practice. when I first came back? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's not 100%, but, um, you know, it feels, feels good. Um, there's still a little bit of healing left, but it's stable. Um, you know, and like I said, it's, it's good. Justin, obviously there's huge implications for any player in their third season. What do you hope to prove individually during the final seven games of this regular season? Just go out there and, you know, win games. Uh, I'm not here to prove anything to anybody. Um, I'm playing for my teammates, playing for the coaches, and, you know, that's, that's it. Um, and everything else will take care of itself. So, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily trying to prove anything to anybody. Um, just, just go out there with my brothers and go out there and perform. So, yeah. Justin, with regard to being an observer the last few weeks, was there anything you saw from Tyson Bajit that you can apply to your game? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think really just looking at all quarterbacks, I feel like Tyson, of course, Tyson, quarterbacks around the league, quarterbacks in college, like we all play the game differently. So, um, you know, things that Tyson did well, you know, I'm definitely going to try to you know emulate that, of course, in my game. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're different quarterbacks. We, we don't do the same thing. So, um, but... Of course, there's bits and pieces that we do do differently um, that he did well in the field, and of course, I'm going to try to, you know, add that to my game for sure. Is there something in particular that really complements the way you play? Like you said, you are different quarterbacks, but sometimes that can you merge the two, and and, and it helps. Is there, is there anything he did, he did that you feel like can complement your skills? Yeah, a lot of stuff for sure. What was the experience like in getting to kind of be on the sideline, hear Coach Gassy call in those plays, not in a moment where you got to kind of just go regurgitate and execute, but actually be able to kind of evaluate why he's calling it. Did you have a different perspective or a different experience with him hearing it that way? I think the Sunday night game, I was trying to, you know, 
just play the game in my head. I think I got a call down from upstairs and saying that the camera kept showing me call the play call, so I couldn't. I had to stop doing that. But um, yeah, uh, I think you know, just like you said, just seeing the game from a different perspective. And of course, you know, I don't want to mess with Luke too much during the game. Of course, he's locked in too. So um, uh, definitely, just seeing why he's calling certain plays, and you know, uh, there were a few times where you know I wanted to ask him, you know, what were you thinking? On this play, like, what was your mindset? Like, what was your goal and to call in this play? But like I said, I didn't want to, you know, mess with his mojo because he's he's locked in, you know, game day. I think I tried to talk to him one time, and I mean, he just, you know, he's he's so locked in, he didn't even hear me. But um, yeah, uh, definitely, like I said earlier, just you know, seeing the game from a different perspective and kind of just a bigger picture of things. When Tyson, when Tyson had some success, I think there were some people that wanted to create a quarterback controversy. Did you hear any of that? In, in yeah, I mean, of course, but that's the world we live in nowadays. You know, everybody wants. Um, Everybody wants to cause a stir, cause media attention, boom, 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 comments, stories. So um, that's just, you know, that's just what comes with it. Um, but, you know, I, I knew that was going to happen from the get-go. So it, it came to me as no surprise. But, um, you know, like I said, I was coming in the building every day, um, being the same guy I was, you know, before I was hurt. And, um, you know, just trying to be the best leader I can be. All right, so now he's got seven games. Uh, knock on wood, stays healthy to uh... – put some good things on tape and, and have people thinking that this is going to be something uh, that we can expect consistently from Justin Fields. Is this, is this the most important part of his career? It is, but it's not like he's just jumped out of an airplane and he pulled the ripcord on a parachute. It's more like you got to go out there and play football like you've been playing throughout your career. You have to understand the decisions you have to make according to the down and distance run pass, RPO, play action pass. And Justin Fields has to continue on that trajectory of improvement that we all expect from him and I think he expects from himself. When you Once you get back in the saddle again and you are the starting quarterback, you think of those incremental times of practice between Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday and the growth and development that you would like to show yourself each and every day. I think it's important that he has a solid performance this week in practice only because you're you know, coming back from a thumb injury. Team as healthy as it's been, and it's going to be – uh, pretty much healthy all the way across the board. Still don't know about Tremaine Edmonds. Did not practice on Wednesday, uh, but Nate Davis is back. He's going to get the start at right guard. That will move Tevin Jenkins to left guard. And unfortunately, as you indicated in uh, Tuesday's podcast, this means uh, Cody Whitehair uh, is not in that starting lineup. He's got to stay ready, of course, and he can play all those different positions. That's something that you anticipated. It does give the Bears uh, that comfort. That uh, Nate Davis comfort, he's played that right side his entire career, so that's where he goes, and and uh, we certainly have seen the left guard spot handled by Tevin Jenkins. Uh, how do you feel about this? Well, you know, the most shocking thing that I, when I heard Matt Eberflus make the announcement that Nate is not going to be on a snap count, and when you are recovering from what they said was a high ankle sprain or an ankle sprain, you know, how much conditioning were you able to do? And so Nate has to go out on the field once he gets out there for the first play and, and play equally as energy filled on the last play. And so that's something that I'll be paying attention to all game is, is do I think conditioning is affecting Nate's game at all? And if it's not, I think he and Tevin at the combination of offensive guards 
could really help this offensive line. Listen, it doesn't take away from my admiration for Cody Whitehair and what he's done throughout his career. And I got to imagine he'll be as ready as any player on that team to go in and play wherever they need him the most at a moment's notice. However, that's the challenges you go through as a football player throughout the course and time of a lengthy career. Deontay Foreman limited with an ankle. Uh, Sanborn limited with an ankle. Uh, Khalil Herbert limited with his return from an ankle injury. His 21-day window coming off IR is still open. Uh, there's an anticipation that he could be back for this game. There would have to be a corresponding roster move. Kari Blassing game expected back. Terrell Smith back in the secondary, the young rookie who has put on some good tape. So that's the story from Hallis Hawes to get ready for a Lions team, Tom, that uh, is on a six-game NFC North winning streak for the first time since 1995. A win for them, and that's seven straight for the first time in division play since 1970. Things are turning in the right direction. Uh, for the Detroit Lions. Let's pick it up with our friend Lomas Brown, the former Lion left tackle and one of their radio analysts for the Detroit Lions radio network. Our good pal is back. We missed him since last year. <laughs> Lomas Brown, uh, one of the analysts on the Detroit Lions radio network, and does a lot of great stuff there in the Detroit area with Tommy and I here on the Bears Etc. podcast. So I don't know about you, but we we have now trickled into the podcast uh, uh, universe uh, this year, and Tom is actually having fun, Lomas. He's having fun. <laughs> Well, I'm glad to hear Tom is having fun, man. That's old offensive lineman, man. We need to have fun in our ages right now. So I'm glad to see he's having fun. <laughs> they need to they need to hear more of us offensive linemen. That's right. That's where the wisdom comes from. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a long time ago I was an intern. I was covering Brown's training camp. You speak of this, and I did a feature. You remember, you guys all both. We Tom and I had many a meeting with him, but <laughs> Doug Deacon, the former offensive lineman and former Browns analyst, and it was uh, Bob Golick. And I was a young mm-hmm. kid intern, and I was doing a story on the difference between offensive and defensive linemen. And these two got into a comedy act. It was absolutely hilarious. Yeah. I hope to find the tape one day because, you know, that, that kind of is the, the thought process. Offensive linemen, you know, they're very cerebral. They have to understand a complicated playbook. And defensive line, eh, just go get the quarterback. We both know it's not that simple on either side, but you have to be smart to play offensive line, smart football-wise. Oh, yeah, absolutely, and Tom knows that. I mean, there's so many things that happens that goes on on the offensive line even after the play is called. So, you know, there's it's just so so many integral parts of playing offensive line. And the thing about, like you mentioned, with the offensive line, I always uh, like to say it's like a hand in the glove. Everything has to work right for that play to go right. Defense alignment, they could cover from for each other if they don't do the right thing. So uh, things happen a, a lot differently. You can have a guy shift from a five technique all the way inside on you. There's just so many different things that can happen at the offensive line. Like you say, have to be cerebral, and they have to be able to think things out, and you have to be able to do it just like that. So, Lomas, I'm going to ask you a question about, I guess we have to include a tight end position as part of the offensive line because I want to ask you a question about Dan Campbell. When you think about the way analytics has infiltrated its way into football, everything from the amount of time guys practice, how fast they run, and decisions you make, Dan Campbell goes completely against the norm last week, and on fourth down, he throws the ball. That's a great question because, you know, again, in the course of the game, and and I know 
Dan has the trust of his team. And I'll say this. He's not like how he used to be. Someone asked me what's the biggest difference between him this year and and last year, and I would say he thinks things out. The game has slowed down from him from a coaching standpoint. So to to directly answer your question, uh, no, I didn't really want us to go for it, and especially throwing for it. You know, I thought it was risky, but – you know, again, and Dan, we trust, and I was happy how things worked out. And I think what it does is it sends a message to not only, you know, Tom, not only to the guys in that locker room, but to the rest of the teams around this league that, you know, that we're a team that's going to go for things. We're a team that's going to play you hard. And you kind of, like you say, kind of almost like a wild card. You really don't know what to expect out of a Detroit Lion team. And I'll say that on both all three sides of the ball, offense, defense, and special teams, because we do some things on special teams too. So, um, yeah, I'm glad it worked out, though. It always makes things better, you know, when it works out. You know, Lomas, you had a chance to play against the 85 Bears. And a lot of the conversation about the 85 Bears always started with the defense. When you talk about this version of the Detroit Lions, if we're going to have a conversation, are we going to talk about offense first or defense? No, I I think with this version, that's a oh, that's a a good question. That really is. I I I think wow. (laughs) I'm I'm gonna say you're gonna talk about the offense because of the consistency of the offense, how it's been consistent. And that's what we've been talking about pretty much for the last, you know, leading into this year, coming out of last year and talking about this year, just how consistent the offense has been, the offensive line, the performance that Jameer Gibbs and that David Montgomery's putting on the record setting things that, Amon Ross St. Brown is doing. Uh, actually, the record-setting things that Sam Laporta, the rookie tight end, is doing. It's just a lot of things great that's going on on the offensive side of the ball. Panay Sewell not giving up any sacks of pressure. Uh, Taylor Decker going up against these, going up against some of the better pass rushers. If you think about it, Bosa and Khalil Mack, and they held both of those guys to no sacks, no pressures, just they were quiet. So we, I think that's going to get the headlines because we've been talking about that much. But I tell you what, the defense, they're trying to make a little noise over there on the defense side of the ball too. Lomas Brown, our guest here on Bears, et cetera. Take a chance, download the Bet Rivers app today. You mentioned the offense, and I got to talk more in detail about Jared Goff because, you know, when he was at the Rams and was dealt, everybody, I think, assumed he was going to be a bridge quarterback to some draft pick in the future. I know the three of us talked about that, and look what he's done. He has protected the football uh, he is engineering an offense that is top five or six in almost every major offensive category. He's got weapons. He's stretching the field. He's extending it horizontally and vertically. They got a running game. And it's just how impressive has he been? And, and, and he's only 29 yet. So yes. is he there to stay? I mean, he should be. I mean, if I'm the Lions, I'm trying to tie him up right now if I can. You yeah. know, I don't I don't understand what else he would have to do. I mean, I, of course, I, and I take that back. Of course, 
we want to win, and we're halfway through this season. So I know it's a lot of things left to do. But, oh, my goodness, like you said, from where he came from to where he is now, he's an extension of Ben Johnson out there on that field because he knows that playbook completely. It was a great play. As you know, on that 75-yard run from David Montgomery, he audible. He checked out of what they were going to have and checked into that run because he's seen the three-down line. It was just three down linemen and that defensive scheme that they had out there. And, of course, man, with our guys up front and with David, you're going to take that all day long. Tom knows there's already gaps there for you. So you're going to take that. And that's what uh, uh, Jared Goff did, and it, it, it ended up being a 75-yard uh, touchdown run. So he knows the offense in and out. He could get us in and out of good good plays. Um, he, he knows just where the guys are going to be at. He knows – like you say, how to orchestrate these guys and put them in the right position. You know, all the different motions and formations that we go in. It's a lot of movement up front when you face a Detroit Lion offense. A lot of movement that Ben Johnson has. So, Jared has done a wonderful job. And like I say, I don't know why, you know, maybe they start talking to him, his agent behind the doors, but I think he's done what he needed to do to say, hey, I'm the quarterback of the Detroit Lions. Well, Miss Justin Fields uh, expected a return for this game after a, a four-week absence, uh, really four and a half games since his thumb injury. What is he going to be looking at defensively from the Detroit Lions? Uh, and and do you feel if there's anything that concerns fans about, you know, maybe going all the way and being the Super Bowl representative in the NFC, is that side of the ball the question mark? Yeah, I think it is. And, uh you know, we expect Justin Fields to come in, and, and I really think we're going to get the best version of him. I think that sometimes when a player is able to sit back and just watch, just sit back and observe and see things differently, see it from a different view, you know, just you know, see practice from a different view, hear things from a different view. It can it can help a player. It really can. And I think with Justin, I just think this is something that I think coming back off this injury, watching the way that Tyson Badgett played and <clears throat> I'm sorry, some of the success that he had, I think Justin's gonna come back and show us the best version of this of himself. So I'm a little nervous, you know, <laughs> going into this game because I, I really don't know what they expect. I mean, he's hurt us in the past, and, you know, we hadn't been real, real good with quarterbacks that can buy time and help their offense line out with their legs. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see the approach that Aaron Glenn takes to him and how if we're going to finally be able to get that guys down on the ground because we get pressures on the quarterback. It's just that we haven't been able to get them down on the ground. Well, Lomas, I'm a little nervous as well, and I'll tell you why. I've been to every Chicago Bear Detroit Lion game in Detroit since 1985. And I think last year it started to build an atmosphere that your indoor stadium could be a true weapon on behalf of the Detroit Lions. So can you give us a description of what the Bears fans that are listening on the radio should expect inside that building Sunday? Yeah, it is. It, it has turned into a home field advantage. And really, Tom, even on the road, oh, my goodness, we take over 
stadiums now. It's right. just been unbelievable. Every stadium we've been in, we pretty much have taken it over other than Baltimore. But I'll say this, there was still a lot of Lion fans in Baltimore. They just really didn't have any reason to cheer. But it's been that way. And it's definitely a home field advantage, 12th man type of advantage here in um, in, in um, Detroit now. Uh, Dan Campbell, he has the pulse of this community, of this state, and everybody's bought in right now. So you're going to see the best version of our fans as far as, you know, bringing the noise. So, yeah, I expect you guys to come here and use the silent count to come here. Um, and I know I'm quite sure – uh, Coach Eberflus and that staff, they practiced that all week long. But it's going to be unbelievable. The fans are going to be ready, man. We're riding a winning streak after beating, going out to uh, L.A. and beating the Chargers. Uh, so the fans are revved up. And as you know, uh, we got this to be we got another game coming up on Thursday, uh, Thanksgiving. So, so we had like three games. It'll be three games in 11 days. So, Hopefully, you know, they won't be too much on these guys' body. And like I say, they could come out and give their best version of themselves on Sunday. Loma, so you played offensive tackle your whole career, and you think of a couple of the defensive ends in this game, Montez Sweat, who's newly aboard with the Bears, and Hutchinson from the Detroit Lions. So Hutch won't be able to hear the snap count because the crowd's going to be so loud. Montez Sweat is going to be able to hear the snap count each and every play because the crowd will be silent for you guys. As an offensive tackle, who do you think has the biggest advantage, the end that cannot hear the snap count or the end that can hear the snap count? Ah, wow, man, you've been coming. What, man, what have you been doing, man? I mean, you just bringing the A game with that set line mentality. Wow, that's another great question right there. Wow, I, you know, I, I would say, wow, I would say probably the end that can't because you still don't know, even if you hear it, they still don't know what it's on. You see what I'm saying? Even if you're a defensive end and you can hear the cadence, you still don't know what the the snap count is on. So I would think the guy uh, that doesn't have it, uh, I just think it would be right, yeah. Wait, am I saying that right? Or yeah, am I saying, no, I, I agree. Okay, I, all right. I, I, I started mixing myself up a little bit there. So, I, okay, I'm saying he that gave right. you yeah. He gave you a little voodoo magic there, Tommy. Yeah. <laughs> He's trying to trick you up. No, that but I, I, it's also, you know, Hutchin, he knows the he knows the crowd support at home. Yeah. He's got a better understanding than that. And then when Montez Sweat is newly aboard, kind of thinking about the play called in the huddle, the down and distance specifically, and playing against the Lions as a member of the Bears for the first time, you know, do you fall into that pattern of listening to the snap count? Or are you disciplined enough like Hutch at home where he knows he's not going to hear the snap count? Yeah. Tom, think about this. You just got me thinking about something. Think about this. Now, you know, they can't, if you jump, you know what I'm saying? It's they're they're in the neutral zone. Right. The, the so remember how back in our day, guys could twitch at you. You know what I'm saying? In loud stadiums when you couldn't hear. Back in our day, guys could twitch at you, and if you move, 
the penalty was on you. Now these guys, like I say, they really can't twitch. But I'm saying if they enter that neutral zone now, then it's pretty much going against them if you move or jump out the way. So it's just how times have changed. And that's a that's something else, too, you know, that should work in the advantage of uh, Aiden Hutchinson, which you, you guys tackles not being able to hear. So it's just amazing how times have changed from when we played to – some of the things they get away with. Now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll be a great matchup, Aiden Hutchinson, uh, and primarily over the right tackle, the Bears' Darnell Wright, the rookie, who's done a nice job so far. It'll be a good match. All right, we'll let you go on this. I know in addition to just the fact the Lions are winning, they're winning two years in a row of winning and trying to get to the playoffs with a really good balanced team. The other big story is Barry Sanders' documentary that's coming out. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Maybe you got a sneak peek already. I don't know, but uh, that's your good friend. And uh, is that a lot of anticipation to find out what the real story is behind his departure earlier than we all wished? Yeah, I'm definitely curious about what he's going to say because, you know, by us being teammates, you you hear things, you know things about him and everything. So I want to see if it matches up to what I know the reason why Barry uh, left, you know, left the game. And, you know, the one thing that I did know, and I, you know, my last year was uh, 95 with the Lions, and his last year, of course, was 99 with the Lions. Um, the one thing that I did know, once he stepped away, you know, he was gone. He, mm. was, he wasn't coming back because that's just how Barry was. You know, he was a man of his word. He was a guy that was going to stick to what he said. And once he said he was done, I knew he was done because, you know, it was all kind of speculations that he was going to come back. They were going to trade him to Miami, just all these other things. But I knew that just from knowing the type of person he was because this is the same guy his rookie year. I tell people this all the time. We, he had the chance to win the Russian title. He only needed nine yards to win the Russian title. We had a whole quarter to go. Christian Okoye from the the, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, they were done. So we had just found out entering the fourth quarter, Barry only needed nine yards to win that. And it was a $250,000 bonus for him being the Russian champ. And he refused to go back in the game. He wow. just we begged him he would no not go back in that game. So just what I'm saying, money, accolades, things like that never motivated him. So like I said, I knew once he left the game, you know, everybody said Walter Payton's record. I knew that had nothing to do with it. I don't think that had a thing to do with it. So that was just Barry. Well, that's a great story to wrap us up. We can't wait to see you on Sunday. Make sure you make sure you drop by or we'll drop by and say hello. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Lomas Brown, Take our care. guest here on Bears, etc. All right, how about that story on Barry Sanders as a rookie? Had you ever heard that story? No, I, I've never heard it, but I've always been kind of confused and interested in Barry Sanders in, in a couple ways. Is he quiet or is he an introvert? Is he super satisfied with his, you know, what he was able to accomplish throughout his football career where he didn't need special accolades to be, uh, to convince himself that he had incredible achievement. He's in the hall of fame. He's an incredible person. I understand. So, um, it's great hearing a story like that from Lomas, an actual teammate of his, one of his supporting offensive linemen in 
for years after the fact to have a little bit of that insight for us. Bears fans, you can be there for live NFL action all season long as the official ticket marketplace of the Bears and the NFL. Ticketmaster has a wide selection of tickets available for every game. Find tickets today at Ticketmaster.com slash Bears. You won't find a ticket in Detroit this week, I'm thinking. I I don't think so either. And, Jeff, when we were sitting there last year up in that seven stories above the field (laughs) and I was listening to the crowd, I knew times were a-changing. And um, never in the history of my career there did I hear a Detroit stadium as loud as it was last year. And I expect this year to be even louder. And I think when Dan Campbell took the job at Detroit, even though they suffered through a difficult season his first year, he knew if he could get the building on his side that it was going to be an every opponent weapon. Anybody who came into that building – it was going to be difficult for them to walk out, you know, <laughs> walk out of there not feeling the effects of that crowd. So congratulations to them. But if the Bears are going to take control of that crowd, they're going to have to have a super effective running game. They're going to have to play as physical and determined on defense as Detroit will. And then they're going to have to come out and they're going to have to shock the world. You can't, you can't give them any extra possessions either. Can't do it this game. The protection of the football, to me, is the storyteller. You can't do it in this game. That place, well, that offense, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of you can'ts in this game, honestly. But that one, well, that one could kill you. Well, one key is you also can't have a special team play yep. that results in a touchdown. To me, that's as much as giving them an extra possession. Whereas you actually get the extra possession if you give up a significant play like that. So I think uh, Coach Hightower and his special teams have to be as uh, you know stifling this week as they have been all season. Yeah, Bears have uh, nine defensive or special teams touchdowns allowed in the last two years. So that involves uh, what twenty-seven games. That that is that's a lot right there. You mentioned the running game. Bears are one of five teams, I don't know if you're aware of this, top ten in both rushing offense and rushing defense. They're fifth on offense, second on defense, first stop on the run over the last six weeks in the NFL. The Bears have gone three and three. The other four teams, Cleveland, Detroit, Philadelphia, San Francisco, their combined records, of course, 27-9, and nine, and the Bears sit here at three and seven. Uh, it does underscore that there are other factors, not just the run, but it is a heck of a start in the right direction. If you continue to run the ball effectively and you continue to stop the run, considering what the Bears could not do a year ago as the 31-ranked run defense in the NFL. Well, for the last couple of years, the Bears have been able to run the ball successfully at home or on the road. And I think they have a nice stable of running backs that they can complement each other and run the ball equally as hard. This is probably um, one of the most interesting offensive line lineups that I'm excited to see uh, since the season began because of they've had so many injuries up until now. Um, and then the thing that intrigues me most is having eight rotating defensive linemen that can come and all play equally as well. And if you can keep fresh defensive linemen in the game rotating to support the linebackers and the defensive backs and make some of those tackles for loss, you know, have um, a handful of sacks, they can go out there and they can play good defense. And so I guess I'm putting this game on the shoulders of the defensive line and the offensive line as much as I am any any other position, including quarterback. 
Good news, Chicago United Airlines is getting brand new planes with all the bells and whistles like Bluetooth connectivity, screens at every seat, and room for everyone's roller bag. United, proud to fly the Chicago Bears and you too. Uh, this is a game where you got a battle for the entire entire 60 minutes. Uh, I think Matty Verlus mentioned that. Uh, this is, this is going to be a test, man, in that building. And uh, you mentioned it, not, not just the impact of the crowd, but the physicality they can impose upon you. So, and, and, I, you know, and part of it's going to begin with somebody like David Montgomery. He runs hard. It doesn't matter who the opponent was. But you just wonder what he's gonna, how he's going to feel after four years with the Bears. Uh, he's, he's done a great job. He's got 1K-plus yard from scrimmage and six-plus touchdowns. Each of his four seasons with the Bears, he's already got seven touchdowns this season coming off that big game last week. So it's a great one-two punch inside out with him and Jamar Gibbs. All right, I got a question for you. So you Bears win the coin toss. You want to give the ball to David Montgomery after all those glowing numbers you just gave me, the king of analytics? Or <laughs> you want to t- <clears throat> do you want to put the Bears offense on the field first to try to squash the crowd noise? And, and uh, you know, gain, change, or take control of field position. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna defer, and I'm gonna, you're I'm humming, gonna, humming, uh, humming, I don't like that. I'm you, gonna you give, I'm gonna, beat. I'm gonna give the ball to Detroit to start the game. All right, but that the risk involved that means with the that defense has to step up to the plate, yeah. create a three and out, and get good field position for your offense. Listen, Tom, the defense the last six weeks playing tremendous football. The numbers say so. They've been outstanding defensively. Outstanding. And, you know, if you can somehow, the thing is, Goff doesn't turn it over anymore. Used to. Doesn't do it anymore. So he's very protective of the football. And so you're going to have to make a special play to get the ball away from these guys. What would you do? I would kick the ball off to Detroit. And the first thing I would do is I would try to limit the success of the run on first down. And then... I would try to make the uh, the first passing opportunities for Detroit as uncomfortable as I possibly could. And I would want Jared Goff to make him think that he's going to be pushed off of his spot. He's going to have to throw on the run. He's going to have to make too early of or too late of decisions. I don't want him to have the timing of the offense in his hand. And so I, I would kick off and – I, I would be the aggressor from the first series. Last four games against the Bears. Eight touchdowns, no interceptions. Jared Goff. Um, at home, his quarterback rating over the last 17 games, 43 touchdowns, seven picks, 110 quarterback. He's just playing well. He's playing well. All right, Tom, I got a quiz for you. And we're brought to you by PNC, official bank of the Bears. Can you name the quarterback in the NFL right now? who is leading the league in passing yards. Um, I'm going to give you a second. And if you want to go back to it as you think it through without looking at the Google machine, you go right ahead. We can, we can, no, I'm we not, can. I don't have Google. Um, <laughs> it's not I, mean, I mean, is it something as obvious as Jared Goff? No, it's not. But he is fifth. He is okay. fifth. To me, it's not obvious. Know. And, you know, we, we, we study this game. We watch it. And the first guy I was thinking about was Tua. And Tua is uh, third. Then I thought, so you well, Tua, you got Mahomes. Yeah, you know. no Mahomes. C.J. Stroud's had a, an unbelievable start, so he's number yeah. two. Josh Allen is number four, and we're going to get to Josh Allen more in a second. Sam Howell. Sam I did see that. Howell, twenty-seven, eighty-three, and seventeen touchdown throws. Sam Howell. I, I did not anticipate that answer. 
So either yeah. did I, you know, yeah. but you know, how often does Eric B their new offensive coordinator play caller, you know, for the beginning of a career with the new team and the Washington commanders, what, what is the d- disparity between run pass? Mm-hmm. I'd have to see. I'd have to look that up. Okay. Uh, Lomas mentioned Ben Johnson. He is going to be a head coaching candidate. 100% was last off season as well. Chose to take his name out of uh, some of those uh, openings and, Knew he had something brewing in Detroit, and that's proven to be true. Outstanding play caller. Um, but it's about all the weapons. Amon Ross St. Brown, certainly, he's on a tear with 100-yard uh, catches. Uh, excuse me, 100-yard games. you got the running game. you got uh, uh, other receivers. But the guy that has uh, really impressed me is tight end Sam Laporta, and nobody's really talking about him. Uh, what is his impact, and where is that impacting the Bears' defense on Sunday with Sam Laporta? Well, I mean, he's a great immediate release for the quarterback. When you have a quarterback like Jared Goff, who's not the most elusive when he's facing pressure, the guy that can get the ball out of his hands with less than 2.2 seconds is the tight end. And at the tight end position, nine times out of ten, you always have a size matchup, whether it's get an undersized linebacker who runs well or some type of a safety position. And if you understand the catching radius of a talented tight end, it sure opens up quick uh, throw opportunities for you. And I think that's why the tight end has become such an attractive target uh, so early in his career. Fifth in yards among tight ends and the first ever tight end with 35 or more receiving yards in each of his first nine games. Uh, You know, he's from Illinois. Did you know that? He went to Iowa. I did. So I I meet him at the Combine, and he's a super smart guy, super congenial. You could tell he's got a big personality, and I say, oh, you know, you're from Highland Park. Did you grow up a Bears fan? He goes, no, I grew up in Highland, Illinois. I have no idea where it is. Somewhere south. (laughs) I was embarrassed. He he just called me out out right away. I thought he's a Highland Park kid, but it slipped me, and uh, that's why I like going to the Combine, Tom. You never know what you're going to learn when you talk to some of these guys, but excellent player but uh for for my money as well as you know my my favorite bears player right that's what you always say uh, no disrespect to the other 52 on the team cole Komet uh has been from the outst- real tight end you yeah real tight end you know their name and they got another one on the on the lions roster tommy another one and he caught he caught like seven balls at notre dame he's got seven nfl touchdowns so it's it's crazy you guys well, are deep on churning them out and and you're going to have a you're going to have a top Top five potentially or top ten pick from the offensive line in Joe Alt this year. Yeah, and they got a good tight end. They had Michael Mayer for the Raiders catch his first tight on tight touchdown the other day. They had Tommy Tremble uh, from yep. the Carolina Panthers that you unfortunately gave old yep. Ohio State University <laughs> credit for developing him. So I did. I think tight end you is uh, Notre Dame as much as anybody else wants to claim it's their school. Yeah, and, and sure indeed. But uh, so he and uh, Cole, uh, Cole and Mark Andrews, the only two players this year with five plus receiving touchdowns the last two years. All right, one more thought on the Bears, the linebacking crew. Sanborn's done a terrific job filling in. Uh, and, and in base, when he's out there in base and just being active on special teams. And Tremaine Edmonds going to work through a knee. Maybe he plays this week. Maybe he doesn't. But I, I feel T.J. Edwards is playing at a Pro Bowl level. That's my opinion. I think he's – first of all, he's leading the league in tackles. 
And he's just more and more aggressive as the season has gone on, as he adapts in this scheme. Am I off on that? Not at all. You know, we talk a lot about chemistry that needs to be developed by the offensive line if they ever get a chance to play together for a significant period of time. I think the chemistry developed from a linebacker's forward to their defensive line is equally as important. And I think that's one thing about T.J. Edwards. The coaches understand how to use him the best, and he understands how the defensive line up front is going to complement him the most. And when you look at his reaction time to the actual direction of the play, whether it's runner pass, RPO, play action, whatever you want to say, T.J. Edwards has immediate reaction. And um, that's why when you you look at the whole linebacking crew, uh, they're all equally as supportive of each other. They all play on an up-tempo style of play. But uh, T.J., because he's been in there every single game, all three downs, it's evident and obvious he's he's really developing into this program. Now, if uh, Tremaine does not return, uh, Noah Sewell will be in there. So Noah Sewell is playing linebacker and doesn't get a ton of snaps, but his brother is Penny Sewell, the, the outstanding right yeah. tackle for And so uh, there's not – it reminds me of the – remember the Kyle Long, Chris Long game when the Rams were still in St. Louis? That Kyle was very edgy in that game. Very, yeah. very edgy. Um, I wonder what it's going to be like. I, I, I talked to him a couple weeks ago because he has another brother that I think was on the, the Raiders or the yeah, Saints? Saints. Saints. Saints, yeah. yeah. And I wasn't sure, and I talked to him in the lunchroom about it. And, yeah, he goes, uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy that we've been blessed. Uh, totally different players all all across the board. Penny's the biggest one, and he's playing the, an outstanding job right now, right? How, if you had to play Rick – and you were playing defense at the time, you had to tackle Rick as a fullback, what would your emotions be like leading into a game? I I would be emotionless. I wouldn't think about it because Mm. I think that is just a distraction to what your real job is. And I think it's not you're not going to have a chance of listening to the defense called in the huddle, pay attention to the down and distance, the hash mark, the time on the play clock, and then try to keep your left eye on looking at your big brother to see how he he played that play. You got to worry about what your job is as a linebacker on that specific play. Yeah, I think it's emotional in some respects, but you also have to be a, a pre. Uh, you have to be professional in all respects. Yeah, that's a good point. Steinhoffel's an employee-owned furniture and mattress store. Visit any of their four Chicago locations in Vernon Hills, Crystal Lake, Downers Grove, and Harwood Heights, or shop online at steinhoffels.com. Uh, we'll do a quick trip around the league, and it involves the quarterback position because the unbelievable story that's developing in Cleveland that feels they have a championship-caliber defense, which is really, really good. But their quarterback now is out with a broken bone in his throwing shoulder. Deshaun Watson done for the year. They're going to start this week, Dorian Thompson-Robinson against the Steelers. They're not going to go to P.J. Walker, who was with the Bears in the preseason and has started games uh, this year for the Browns in the absence of Watson. But the craziest part of this whole story, Tom, do you know who the backup quarterback to start training camp in Cleveland was? For um, it was it was uh, Joshua Dobbs. Correct. So yes. Cleveland trades him to Arizona. Cardinals, of course, traded him to Minnesota. Now he is tearing it up as a two-game starter for the Vikings. Do you think for a minute Cleveland isn't bemoaning the fact that that quarterback, they sent him away thinking that they were set at the quarterback position? It underscores this thought for me. 
You're never set at quarterback. You're never set. You can pay a guy $260 million and he go out in, in the fifth game of the year or in the 12th game of the year when you're trying to win a Super Bowl and you're, you're SOL. So never, ever, ever, ever think you're set at quarterback. That's a perfect example. They also had Tyron Taylor at yeah. uh, one point. Yeah. I mean, what's your feeling about that topic? What's your feeling about that? Because, again, teams are falling over themselves trying to find the next quarterback, the great quarterback that's going to be leading you to Super Bowls annually or at least in the competition for it, and it's a, an exercise that is the most challenging of anything in sports. It really is. I know well, they it's – Joshua- they felt Joshua Dobbs was a commodity, but they were evaluating Deshaun Watson the whole time. When they felt that he was going to be 100% re- ready to go, they were trying to turn a quality backup quarterback into an asset. And so then they let him go to another team, and they think, well, we can bring in a couple of other guys here after cuts and allow them to develop while Deshaun is playing. So it's all these you know, guys trying to think down the road how to create value, how to go and capitalize on somebody else's uh, a player they cut. And but do you agree with me that you don't feel ever comfortable, even if you think you've got the guy? Oh, 100%. 100%. I because agree. Because th- this, this is the thing about it. You know, I, I don't care what team it is. It, say it's a team like Detroit or, or, or the Bears that have had this roller coaster ride of trying to get to the, the Super Bowl. And um, trying to find the quarterback, and then, you know, you think you have a championship football team, and the, and the quarterback goes and, and suffers an injury that knocks him out for the rest of the year. I mean, I know there are other examples of this, sure, in, in the past, well, but you just, you better have a really good feeling about, and I know some people say there's not 32, so how is there 64 quarterbacks, 96 quarterbacks, so, but you better feel really good about quarterback. You really do. That decision the Cleveland Browns made has is coming back to haunt them. But the decision that Sean McDermott made this week, that is a scapegoatal as of, of a decision ever made in the history of football. The firing of Ken Dorsey and then Frank Reich has now taken the play calling back again from Thomas Brown. So he's starting to call the plays this week for Bryce Young. Frank Reich should have never given up the play calling because he has more quarterback experience than anybody else on that staff, including Josh McCowan. So Frank Reich should have he should have held his his hold on it. He's the head coach. He's the decision maker, and he understands the development of a quarterback like that. So he should have never given it up. All right, Tom, I think we covered a lot of bases. We'll talk to you next week after the Bears' uh, hopeful victory against the Detroit Lions. We'll talk to you on the radio on Sunday. Our next Bears Etc. podcast drops next Tuesday. We'll preview the upcoming matchup against the Minnesota Vikings on Monday Night Football. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please subscribe now on the Bears' official app, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bear down.